already into Lent, third Sunday of Lent, which feels very strange. And we're in this season of the church year where we traditionally pay particular attention to the growing darkness. And it feels a bit odd given that we are in a season where the days are actually growing longer in terms of the light. And so it seems a little odd, right, to be focusing on darkness. It's possible that the church ancestors were maybe, you know, a bit more prophetic than we might usually give them credit for or imagine. Of course, aside from the fact that, like, walking with Jesus to his death is just hard, I got to thinking maybe, maybe the church ancestors knew that we would need some honest recognition of not only our human condition and the things in this world that are quite difficult, but maybe, maybe they knew that some group of idiots would approve daylight savings time. <laughs> and that we would not be so happy, you know, getting up and starting our day, going to school, going to work, whatever, prior to dawn, starting next week. So I'm just warning you and also being like, really? This is my annual, like, really? Seriously, though, um, I want to acknowledge how the metaphorical use of darkness has and still does harm, particularly as it fuels racism. So I would actually like to shift the language and the metaphor to that of shadows, which you'll notice in the general title of the whole series. I want to shift this metaphor to shadows as we observe drawing nearer to all that surrounded Jesus' death. And so when I say shadows this morning, I am referring to all that looms over our lives. Now, I am a pretty intuitive person. I, I operate, if you will, out of my gut. And so when something is looming, I experience some intense or at least persistent energy, if you will. And it's a type of energy that often brings something to my attention, usually indicating that a shift needs to be made or that one is coming. Much of the time, I think that we feel that things in our world are so out of our control as they loom over us. But I was reminded this week in various conversations that, that no one can control our emotions. That's on us. We do have power in the shadows. And when I say that, it's not to say that we employ spiritual bypassing when there's real suffering or stick our head in the sand in the face of evil and hate. We only have today, the present moment. And the Spirit invites us to faithfully steward our lives. That means knowing when to act and when to rest. That means taking time to process what we're feeling, both what's happening in our bodies and collectively in our body, and paying attention to the movement of God in a world where harm and pain are realities. We pay attention to weighty feelings and that which hangs us up, if you will, that keeps us bound or at least separated from experiencing the fullness of what God intends for us in the kingdom. 
Sometimes what looms draws our attention to the ways in which we are complicit in the shadows. Our text for today is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 22, and I think this is a part of scripture that that draws our attention to the shadows. Prior to the passage, uh, just after meeting with the ancestors, though, Jesus addresses what looms over the good road as he draws closer and closer to his own death. He exposes areas where faith is weak among the people, and he prepares them for his death, clearly mapping out the road ahead. He confronts the fueling of the empire by those who collect taxes only from those people who are not considered family. And when asked who is the greatest among his followers, he calls a child to his side as an example of who will find the good road. He uplifts the truly humble and confirms that those who become humble and welcome the littlest among them, the children, welcome himself. And then he goes on to share about stumbling and not looking down on these little ones. And he shares about finding the lost one, even if it means leaving the masses or the 99. In other words, leaving what is comfortable or mainstream. And we arrive at our text for today. You're welcome to turn. If you've got your First Nations version with you, um, you can turn there, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, ending at 22. And if you would like, uh, we are not doing the conversation piece as part of the teaching um, during Lent, but you are welcome to grab some supplies. There's some here and on the back table if you would like to process. You can get up at any point. It won't bother anybody. All right? You can grab those for yourself. All right. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If a tribal family member wrongs you, go to him alone and tell him. If he listens, then you have won him back. If he cannot see the wrong, then go to him with one or two others who have seen the wrong so he can hear them. If he still will not listen, take him before the sacred family council. If he will not hear the council, then he will be the same to you as an outsider or a tribal tax collector. I speak from my heart. What has been decided in the spirit world above is what you will decide on earth. From my heart, I will say it again this way. When two or three have gathered together on earth to represent me, I will be there in spirit to guide you. Then, under my guidance, whatever two or more of you agree upon and ask for will be done by my Father from above. Stands on the rock, who is Peter, came close to creator sets free, who is Jesus. Wisdom keeper, he asked, how many times must I forgive a brother or sister who does wrong to me? Is seven times enough? Not just seven times, creator sets free answered, but 70 times seven. This is the word of the Lord. This is a pretty familiar text, I think, for us, though I will say that it, while it's familiar, it is, I think, challenging, 
right? Um, it's challenging in the midst of conflict. And what looms in today's text is the conflict itself, or more importantly, how we can be complicit in the shadow that is conflict. And wisdom, or wisdom keeper, shares how to walk out the good road in the midst of that conflict. I want to walk through the text just briefly and make a couple of points and encourage you after the gathering, if you would like to converse, um, this space is open, open to do that. So first off, in verse 15, right off the bat, we can note that this text is not referring to just anyone that we're in relationship with, okay? This is about relationships with those who recognize their kinship, or in other words, are committed to being in community along the good road. The text says, if he, which actually you can translate this, he or she or they, however you would like, if they listen when you, uh, if they listen, then you have won them back. At first glance, this might throw us recovering evangelicals for a bit of a loop. This word won, won him back or won them back. However, I think today I, I read it a little bit differently. This isn't about being right or wrong or winning in the competitive sense or even superiority, okay? In the Greek, the word here for one is kurdaino, which is a very weird word. Kurdaino, which more accurately is translated as regain. Regain. The implication is that one's community has been restored or regained. So when separation occurs, relationships are remembered. Of course, if the attempts to restore or regain community fail, then, verse 16, take others who have also committed to be in community with you. And as I thought about this, I was reminded that we bring our own barriers into relationships. And sometimes these barriers can keep us from hearing one another. We are complex people. Relationships are messy because we carry multitudes within ourselves. This week while I was pondering the text, I was reminded of the way that Vanessa Machado de Oliveira talks about in her book, Hospicing Modernity, um, how we understand ourselves and how we, as she calls it, world the world. How we interact and make sense of the world and our experiences in it. She talks about how each person is not just one, but like a bus full of people, a multitude. And at any given time, we might pay attention to who is driving the bus and who is seated. And we pay attention to the experiences of the multitude on our bus and how they make up the whole of who we are. And I think here, in the same way, wisdom says to allow the multitudes of the larger community to navigate the situation. So if all else fails, then take the person before the sacred family council or the church, where discernment happens among you. And then I think this is where we get a bit hung up in the, in the text. It says, if he or they will not hear the counsel, then they will be the same to you as an outsider or tribal tax collector. The wording of this text naturally begs the question, how do we treat outsiders 
and tax collectors. With boundaries? Maybe like those who no longer treat us as family or kin or those who are actively working against where God is leading us and moving. Or maybe it's more simple than that. You treat the person as one who has chosen already to not be a part of or restored to community. There's no like prescription for this, okay? We often want to be like, well, then what does that mean? And I think we would do well at this point to remember that Jesus has consistently taught to love our neighbor, even our enemies. And that can look different in different circumstances. Verse 18, I speak from my heart. Here again, we have that longer translation of the one word in Greek. Do we remember what it is? Can I get a? Uh, Thank you. Amen. It's the amen statement. <laughs> this is the third time that we've talked about this. We're going to talk about it again later. And I get so excited about these, like, truly I tell you passages. I'm going to get you all talking eventually, somehow. That one word then gets translated, I speak from my heart, or truly I tell you, or amen, may it be so, right? What is in the spirit world will be on earth. Jesus says. This is an echo, if you will, of the prayer, the Lord's prayer that we've heard before, right? Actually being lived out. Wisdom Keeper continues in verse 19 and 20. From my heart, I will say again this way, or amen, I will say it again. When two or three have gathered together on earth to represent me, I will be there in spirit to guide you. Then under my guidance, whatever two or more of you agree upon and ask for will be done by my Father from above. This is the space in which we dance our prayers together. It is where discernment happens because in dancing our prayers, the way is opened before us. The next small section here acknowledges a hang-up the hang-up that keeps us bound or separated from experiencing the fullness of what God intends. And I love how Peter just comes right out and asks. He acknowledges the weight of the work by asking a question I think any hearer would be itching to ask. But how many times... Must I forgive a brother, a sister, a sibling who does wrong to me? Is seven times enough? I mean, that's a holy number, right? So, like, is seven times just not enough, right? At minimum here, I think he's recognizing how exhausting this work is, right? I would like to note that up until this point in the text, the word for forgiveness is not actually used until now. The word for forgiveness in the Greek is aphiemi, which means sending away. So in other words, Peter is asking, how long shall I send this thing that's looming over, this constant conflict? How long shall I just send it away? Not let it occupy me or bind me. How many times shall we seek the restoration of community, not giving up on the fullness of the kingdom? 
as God intends. How many times? And the response is a bit shocking. Not just seven times, but 70 times seven. Not just seven times, we should do the math, but 490 times. And so Wisdom Keeper might as well have just said, more than can be counted because you will lose track at that point, right? You're just going to lose track. And that sounds extremely exhausting. Because it is. Right? More importantly, I think this response simultaneously reminds us to consider how following Jesus along the good road is a reflection of God's self. The character of God. The response doesn't imply, though, that we can't or shouldn't remember it. But that it no longer needs to hang us up. It doesn't need to keep us bound or separated from experiencing the fullness of what God intends. And while our text for today ends there, Jesus' teaching on the topic doesn't. He actually continues by describing forgiveness through a story of debts, reiterating from earlier teachings how we will be separated according to the measure that we separate others. I think what sticks out to me here in this text today is the invitation to wrestle in the shadows, to pay attention to what is looming and with intention keep steadfast along the good road, which is the kingdom of God unfolding before us. We only have today, we only have the present moment and the Spirit invites us to faithfully steward our lives. That means knowing when to act and when to rest. That means taking the time to process what we're feeling, what's happening in our bodies and in our communal body, and paying attention to the movement of God in the world where harm and pain are realities. We pay attention to the weighty feelings, to that which hangs us up, keeping us bound or separated from experiencing the fullness of what God intends for us along the good road. So in this Lenten season, let us faithfully pursue the kingdom in relationship with others, even and maybe especially in the shadows of conflict that loom over our lives. May it be so. Amen.